Well, if you are a Red Raider, how many Red Raiders we got in the room tonight? All right, a lot. Okay, so if you're a Red Raider uh, and you're like me, man, I've grown up a Red Raider fan uh, for over 30 years. Okay, my family moved here uh, when I was very young. And so all I've ever known is Texas Tech and uh, it's the highest of highs. And three seconds later, uh, man, your just heart is ripped out, right? And uh, it's like the lowest of, of low. And in that Man, in that second, in five seconds, the way things can change so fast. But, but you know what? I loved what uh, Coach Beard said in his press conference after. He said, you know, win or lose, these guys are going to be great husbands and dads one day. And I love that. I love that long-term future vision that it wasn't just about what was happening here. Now, sure it was. They were working hard for here and now for a national championship, but it wasn't just about that. It was about something in the future. And listen, that's our same vision and hope and prayer for tonight or for Raider Church. One of the things that we pray for regularly in our team, our leadership prayed for uh, before this service began was that out of Raider Church, we would see godly men and women raised up, godly wives and husbands raised up out of this group, godly dads and moms raised up out of this group. It's about right now, sure it is, and helping you thrive in college, helping you maybe even just survive college. But at the same time, there's a long-term future. There's a long-term plan. We want to help you as you follow Jesus and pursue Jesus. And as we point you to Jesus, that he will help you to become a godly woman, a godly man, that he will help you to become godly husbands and wives one day, moms and dads one day, disciple makers, church planners, missionaries to unreached people groups. Man, that, that's our prayer and, and that's our hope. And, and we're going to continue in that tonight in, in this series. Some of you guys know... Um, my wife let me go to the final four this past week. And I don't say that facetiously. She literally did. Uh, and I'll explain more about that later and why that's a, that's a huge deal. Uh, but I, I went to the final four with my brothers and, um, I knew though, I wanted to be back for tonight. And so I booked flights, uh, at 6am leaving, uh, Minneapolis. And so because of all the people there and, and everyone leaving town today, uh, the, the front desk at the hotel, I was saying, I said, Hey, you're going to need to, you're going to need to be in the lobby at 3.30 in the morning uh, to get a car so that there's plenty of time in case the, the, there, there isn't as many Ubers or whatever available at that time. So I, I got to my hotel about 1.30 after the game and I had to wake up at about 3.30 uh, to get ready to get my car to go to the airport this morning. And those two hours, I basically kind of laid there and just thought I couldn't go to sleep. Uh, probably too much adrenaline. And, and so I get up at, at 3.30, I get ready, I get to the airport and um, I sit down when I kind of finally get to my gate and it's like everything just kind of hits you, you know, at once. You're tired, you're overwhelmed. And I was just like, man, I was so down after last night. And um, I get on the plane I sit next, I'm sitting there and I'm waiting for people to come because it's a full flight. And uh, sure enough, a, a Virginia dad and son come and sit right next to me. And uh, he sees I got a Texas Tech shirt on and he's like, he puts his hand on my shoulder. He's like, man, that was a tough game. And it was like everything in me because I was so tired to just be like, like just to just start crying because I was so tired and, and overwhelmed and everything. And, and so, so I get to the Denver airport and I'm walking, I'm like delirious because I've been in and out of sleep. It's like I, you doze off for 10 minutes and then I come back. I can't sleep on a plane and, and it, it's so tight, you know, for me, I, I can't sleep. And so, so I get to Denver airport and I'm like walking around in this stupor. Like I'm so Tired. I'm, I'm not even. I'm not even thinking straight. And so I go to this uh, the United Club thing, and I lay down. And I'm trying to take like a nap uh, because I know like I'm going to be here at Raider Church tonight, and I've got to get some sleep. I got to get. I, I got to be energized and, and ready to go. I can't. Get, I just can't be up here like falling asleep, you know. So so I'm trying to take a nap, but again, I can't really do it. I'm in and out every 20 minutes, and and, and so then I, I take another flight to Lubbock, and and again I'm you know kind of dozing off every 10 minutes or so. But I get here and I get in the car with my wife, and I. I just like, you know, that feeling when you kind of get home and you're just like, ah, like you've arrived, you're back home, you can rest, you can get renewed, you can sleep in your own bed, you can eat your food, you know, all those kinds of things just kind of set in all at once. And I got home and, and I, I took a nap 
And then I got up and, and I went and ran and jogged for two miles. And then I just, I started drinking and down in like bang energy drinks, you know, and, and just so, so I could be ready uh, to go because man, I love being here and I didn't want to, I didn't want to miss. And this is such an energizing thing for me. And God does so much in my heart by being here and being a part of this group. And so, man, I, I'm pumped to be back and, and to be here uh, with, with you guys. And, but the, here's the thing, you know, we all have that home, right? For some of you, it, it, you may feel like that when like you go to your apartment or your dorm or your house or whatever. But my guess is maybe you feel a little bit more like that when like when you go home, like to where you grew up, like your home, maybe where your parents are like doing your laundry again and making you food again and, and, and doing all those things. You get to kind of sleep in the bed you grew up in maybe. And, and it's like your home with your family. And there's this there's this feeling of rest and recovery and you can exhale and you're done. A lot of times you're on a break or you're done with school and it's like you get home and you're around, you're, you're in the right place that makes you feel like home and you're around the right people that make you feel like you're home. And it brings that rest and recovery and that renewal and that strengthening that we all need. And listen, the same thing was true for me. Like I, I had an awesome time this weekend with my brothers. It was our annual, we kind of use this as our annual bro trip that we do each year with me and my three brothers. And, and I had a great time, but man, I, 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 every time I'm gone, I hate being away from my family, from my wife. And it doesn't help anything that my wife, like when I'm ever, anytime I'm out of town, anytime I'm gone, she always sends me pictures of like what she's wearing that day to see if like what I think about it or how she looks, you know, or whatever. And, and so she sends me these pictures and she knows And when she sends me these pictures and she's looking all cute and hot and everything that it just drives me crazy. And I'm like, I got to get back home. She doesn't on purpose. She knows what she's doing. She knows exactly what she's doing. She's, she's sending me things to make me want to feel like I, I should, I want to be back home. Listen, we all have those people and places that are home for us that provide renewal, a strengthening, a refreshing, a recovery. And listen, God has the exact same thing for you in your spiritual life. He has places and people for you to get that kind of recovery, to get that kind of strengthening, renewal, refreshing. He has people in places, a home, a spiritual home for you and a spiritual people, a spiritual family for you to receive that kind of strengthening and renewal, refreshing, recovery. And it's called the church. It's the body of Christ. And we're going to look tonight at several different ways God has given us, we talked about this last week, to remain in him. And he's given us people and places by which, a means by which we can remain in him. We said last week, we're, we're supposed to remain in Christ. That's the way to receive and to experience life change and to flourish and to prosper is to remain in Christ five minutes at a time. And the next five minutes and the next five minutes, that's what we talked about last week. And we said at the very end, here's what I said. This wasn't just some kind of ethereal idea, just some pie in the sky idea that today, tonight, today, we would talk about the ways, the means by which God has given us to remain in him. And so tonight we're going to see that. Got a Bible, go to John 15. John 15, uh, we're going to be back in the same passage as we were last night. We're just taking this passage and we've been breaking it down verse by verse and talking about what does it mean to be fruitful in the way that Jesus is talking about, to prosper. He wants that for every one of us. He wants your life to prosper and to be fruitful and to flourish. And so what does this look like and how does this happen? And so last week we said the gardener has to purge some things out of our life, cut some things out of our life, and he's the one that has to, to do that. And the way that happens is by remaining in him tonight. We're going to see how do we remain in him? What are the ways he's given us to remain in him. So it's going to be real practical on ways to remain. And there's three of them. So let's go. John 15. If you don't have a Bible, go to RaiderChurch.com. Select sermon notes. The verses and everything will be there for you. So Jesus says this. I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. Now, remember last week, here's what we said. If you weren't here I would go back and watch that, podcast it, whatever, uh, so that you know where we're at and what's happening here. But basically, when Jesus says the Father, the gardener, cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, what Jesus is saying is there, there, there are branches in him 
people who are not followers of Jesus and do not produce the fruit, the life of a Christian. They're not followers of Jesus, so they're dead. They're dead in their sin. They will experience the penalty of their sin. These are people who are not followers of Jesus. And in the end, one day, or when these branches stand before God, these are people who do not follow Jesus. They will be cut off and they will be thrown into the fire. Jesus talking about hell, that these dead branches who do not follow Jesus will go to hell for eternity. And so these other branches, Jesus said, that do produce fruit are followers of Jesus. They produce fruit. And so what Jesus does in their life, what the gardener does in your life for you, in you, we talked about this last week, it's Christ in us that does this. He prunes us, meaning he still, there's still things being cut off. There's still things being purged, but this is what he does in the life of the believer to grow the believer into more, into looking more and more like Jesus to flourish and to become even more fruitful. And so he says this, you've already been pruned and purified by what? This message, the message I have given you. I'd underline that, highlight it in new version, whatever. Here's what Jesus says. You've been pruned and purified by what? How? By the message that I've given you. And then look what he says here just a little bit later. But if you remain in me, we talked about that last week, remaining in Christ, So he's going to talk more about what this looks like. But if you remain in me and my what? My words remain in you. You may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. Jesus says one of the ways we remain, one of the ways he prunes and cuts the life of a believer to make us even more fruitful is what? Through his message that he's given us by his words remaining in us. So here's the first way God has given us to remain in Christ, to stay. Remember what we said last week, to stay close to him, to abide in him, to reside in him, to stay with him. This is the first way that he's given us to stay close to him. And it's to remain in his word. Remain in his word. Remain in his word. We saw this last week, but Psalm one says this. Oh, the joy of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. But they, watch this, what do these people do? They delight in the law of the Lord. That's God's word. They delight in God's word. And then watch this, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank. Remember the the tree that I showed you last week that we were pruning and cutting? It was an ugly shrub. Wasn't even a tree. We were told it was a tree, but it didn't look like it from the outside. But in that house that we got, we started cutting the branches off and pruning it. And it began to grow and to flourish into this huge tree now, nine years later. You want God to do that in your life? You remain in Christ. And the first way we do that is by remaining in his word. We delight in the law of the Lord. We meditate on, that's what happens. They're like trees that are planted along a riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither and they prosper in all they do. You want your life to flourish and to prosper, to be fruitful. You want to be like a a strong growing tree that's planted on a riverbank, that's green, that has life, that's flourishing. If you want that to be true in your life, then it says here, we delight in the law of the Lord and God's word and we meditate on it day and day night. We remain in his word. Paul told his disciple, Timothy, second Timothy chapter three, he said this, all scripture, all scripture is God breathed. And so here, here, here's basically what that means. And and here's what we believe about the scripture, the, the, the Bible, God's word is that it's God inspired, that God through the Holy Spirit spoke to men and women and spoke to them and through them and they begin to write the words of scripture. And so Paul said, all scripture is God breathed. When we look at the life of Jesus, God in the flesh, we see him often quoting from the Old Testament Torah, the five, first five books of the Old Testament, from the Psalms and the Proverbs and the prophets. Jesus quotes from almost every different section in the Old Covenant and the Old Testament, giving it authority. 
and showing that, yes, God has the ability. If he can create the heavens and the earth, and then, then he surely has the ability to lead and guide and direct men to write the words of scripture. If God can raise his son, Jesus, from the dead, then it's nothing for him to lead and guide men and women to, to be inspired to write the words of scripture and for it to be like it's God's word. So Paul told Timothy, all scripture is God breathed. And so when you spend time in God's word, it's like you're breathing in the words of God. You're breathing in the breath of God into you, the breath of life. In Genesis chapter one, when God created man and woman, Adam and Eve, it says that he created them and then he breathed into them the breath of life. The scripture God's word is God breathed, God inspired. And so when you read it, when we read it together, when you open your Bible and you read it or you read it on your phone and you version, I mean, when you spend time in God's word, you're breathing in the breath of God, the breath of life. And it brings life to you. And then Paul would go on to say in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he said, listen, it's not, it's God, it's God breathed. This, this is the Holy Spirit writing through men to put God's word literally down in pages in written form. He would say this, that God's word is useful for teaching, like what we're doing right now, for correcting. God's word corrects us. We come to God's word because God's word is the way. It's his best. It's like the manual for life. And so we come to God's word and it oftentimes it will correct us. It will point out things in us that are wrong. It'll point out ways of living that are wrong in us. It'll point out ways of thinking or, or believing that are wrong. You see, we don't believe that we know more than God. We believe God, the author and designer of life, knows how to do life. Just like Apple knows how the iPhone works and they give you a user manual for how to work it. God has given us a user manual on how to do life that he designed and he created. And so we'll often, sometimes we'll, we'll come to God's word and it will point out things. It will point out error in our lives. It will point out sin. And this is a good thing. It's a good thing. It's for your best. It's for your joy to come to God's word and for it to correct you. To rebuke you, Paul would tell Timothy. Oftentimes we'll come to God's word and it will not just correct us. It will rebuke us. It will tell you what you are doing is wrong. The way you are living, the way you are believing is wrong and you need to change. You need to, the Bible uses this word, repent. You need to repent of the way that you're living, the way that you're believing, the way that you're talking, the way that you're acting. You need to repent so that your life is in line with God's word. This is a good thing. Oftentimes today, more than ever, because in today's generation, we'll often say, well, well you know, it's true for you and some things are true for me. And, and there couldn't be a bigger bunch of bull ever. God's word is true. It's the plumb line. And we come to it. And when our life doesn't match up, it's on us to repent of the way that we're living, acting, talking, and to get our lives in line with God's word. So that we can live out and experience his best for our lives. It is the truth. And when our lives don't match up or when we believe something different than God's word, what we were doing or what we are believing is a lie. It's a lie. And so we come to God's word and his truth will point out the lies that we believed in our heart. And so then we repent and we get our lives in, in line with God's word. That's what the follower of Jesus does. They don't run from that conviction. They embrace it. When the Holy Spirit begins to speak to you as you read God's word or you hear God's word being taught, you don't run from that. Oh, I don't want to feel bad about myself. No, 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 no. You embrace it and say, no, God, your word is truth. It's correcting me. It's rebuking me. It's teaching me right now. And we'll talk about why it does that and the purposes for which that happens next week. 
But we remain in God's word to breathe in the breath of life, to be corrected, to be, Paul would say, trained in righteousness. God's word will train you on the way to live righteously. We've been made righteous through our faith in Christ. You're declared righteous. You can't, you can't earn it. You can't be a good enough person to be right with God. The Bible says that we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's standard. We are not good people, the Bible says. Most of us think that we're good people. Most people think they're pretty decent people. The Bible says, actually, when you compare yourself to God's standard, to God's law, that we are idolaters, liars, murderers, cheaters, adulterers. We are guilty. We are not good. And that means hell, not heaven. We are not good when we measure up to God's standard of what it means to be holy and righteous. And so we can never be righteous in God's eyes. So we need God to do something for us on our behalf. And he's done that in Christ. When the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5, that he who knew no sin, Jesus became sin for us. So Jesus takes our sin and then it says, so that we might become the righteousness of God. And he gives us righteousness. He gives us a righteous standing when we believe in Jesus. Romans 3 says, you're made right with God when you believe that Jesus sacrificed his life for you, shedding his blood. It even says about Abraham in Genesis that he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Like he was given righteousness because of his faith. In theology, the big word is imputed. It's an imputed righteousness, which means God gives it to you. He declares you righteous when you put your faith in Jesus. You could never be righteous on your own. But righteousness is imputed to you. It's given to you when you put your faith in Jesus. When he who became sin, who knew no sin, became sin for us so that in him, for those in Christ, we might become righteous, right with God. And so God's word will point out error and correct us and train us in what it looks like to live righteously. We've been made righteous. But Paul would say, you've been made righteous now. It's time to live out the life, your life, in light of the calling that you've received. Live in a manner worthy of the calling you've received. You've been made righteous, now we live righteously. In the scripture, the Bible teaches us how to do that. Romans 12 says that we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. Your mind is renewed. You begin to think differently. You begin to think like God thinks when you spend time in God's word. And so I want to challenge you. If you've got a Bible, and every one of you do, because most of you have a smartphone, which means you can download the YouVersion app and start a reading plan and start reading the Bible, meditating on God's word day and night. There's Bible plans where you can read a chapter a day. You can read a few verses a day. You can read the Bible in a year. But you need to start opening God's word and spending time with him so that you can breathe in the breath of life, so that you can hear from God. You know, oftentimes we'll say, I want to hear from God. I want God to speak to me. He has spoken to you. He's spoken to us through his word. And so we can't say, God, speak to me, and then never spend time in his word, because the Bible is God-breathed. It's the words of God. And when you spend time in God's word, he speaks to you. He'll speak to you. It's amazing how when you start spending time in God's word on a regular basis, you'll start feeling like God is speaking to you. And that's like you're hearing his voice. That's what happens when you remain in his word. Secondly, second way he's given us. He says this, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches, plural. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Here's what I want you to see in these verses. Is that first of all, Jesus is not talking to one person. He's talking to a group. He's talking to a community. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to people who are following him. And so he's not pointing out one person saying, hey, if you remain, he's talking to his disciples. He's talking to his followers. He said, listen, if you like you as a group, like you as in plural, you will remain in me together. Then you will bear much fruit. In fact, this word you in Greek is the plural form 
of you. It's the plural. And Jesus kind of confirms it here when he says, yes, I'm the vine. You, plural, you are the branches, plural. And so here's the second way God has given us to remain in him. It's this, it's to remain in community. Remain in community, in the body of Christ. A couple of years ago, uh, my wife and I, for her birthday, went to San Francisco and uh, we got to see everything and do all the stuff. And, and one of those days we went across the Golden Gate Bridge into Muir Woods, just north of, of, of San Francisco. And we go into these woods. And if you're from West Texas, you've never seen anything like this in your life. But there's these giant sequoia trees. They're huge. And you walk through this path and they are towering above you. You can't see the sky. You can't see 20 feet because of these huge, massive sequoia trees. You know, in West Texas, you can see for miles, right? When you walk through Muir Woods, you can't see past 20 or 30 feet. These trees are huge. Check this out. Here, here's some of the facts about these sequoia trees. They were referred to as the largest living things on earth. Reaching almost 250 feet in the air. And some have been standing for over 1,500 years. Now, you might wonder, if they're so tall, how is it that they stand like the test of, of wind and, and rain and all the, the different elements? How, how, could they, how could they stand so tall? It must be, most of us would presume or assume, it must be that they've got this root system that goes down super deep into the ground that keeps it stable. And you would be wrong. Do you know most of the roots for a sequoia tree only go down four feet? How could they stand up? How could a tree go 250 feet up in the air and stand for over 1,500 years if the root system only goes down four foot deep? Here's the way they stand. The trees stand together. You see, sequoia trees grow in what's called a family circle. Check this out. There's a picture we took. You might be able to tell kind of at the top how there's several different trees and they all form a circle. And here's what's interesting is that they're all around the circle. You may not be able to see it, but here in the middle, there was one and it was burned. It was the first one. But because of the root system that was underneath that goes very wide, other sequoias will pop up and begin to grow around it. They grow in what's called a family circle. And what happens is their roots begin to intermingle. And so they don't go down more than four feet, but their roots all begin to intermingle and get intertwined. And so now these trees are held together by each other. They stand up. They withstand the elements together, not alone. No sequoia. I thought this was interesting. No sequoia tree grows alone by itself. It always grows in what's called a family circle. And listen, the same thing is true in your life. No follower of Jesus grows alone. You can't. God has designed the Christian life to be done in community, in the body of Christ. And so not one of us can ever say, well, I don't need to go to church or, or I don't need this group or this group or what. I, I don't need all that. It's just between me and Jesus. I'm going to do this kind of thing on my own. No, 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 that's false. That's a lie. Yes, you have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with Jesus. We'll talk about that in a second. But we do that in community. We all need the body. In fact, Paul will say in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, that none of us can say as the body of Christ, none of us can say as an ear, I don't need the body. Or as a nose, I don't need the ear. Or I don't need the foot. No, we are the body together. Not one of us is the body completely by ourselves. We're all different parts of the body. So I need you and you need me and we need each other to grow in our relationship with Jesus, to grow spiritually. Every one of us do. You can never say at any point in your life, I no longer need Christian community. That is the most dangerous thing you could possibly say. It's dangerous. It's immature to think that you could do the Christian life on your own. We were designed to do this life in Christian community. And so we'll often say at Raider Church, as you begin to follow Jesus, 
that you've got to change your playgrounds and your playmates. Especially in college. You've got to change your playgrounds and playmates. In other words, you've got to change where you hang out and who you hang out with. Not deleting people, not getting rid of people, but you've got to change the priority of where you hang out and who you do life with. Jesus did this life in community with other followers of, him, of himself, with his disciples. He did life with 12 other men. And so if it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for you. And they would minister to people and preach to people and, and, and pray for people. And Jesus is known as the friend of sinners, but he didn't do it alone. He didn't do it alone. He did it with other followers of Jesus. And so one of the things that will be hard for you if you hadn't done this is taking a next step here to grow spiritually is not just like coming to church like every once in a while. It's rain or shine, good times and bad times, busy or not, you are committed to the community of Christians. You're committed to a local body of Christ, week in and week out. And here's what this doesn't look like, okay? It, it doesn't mean doing Christian community is listening to podcasts or live streams. Those things are great. They're a great tool when you, when you have to miss, when you have to be gone. But God did not design the life to, this life to be done in community. That, that doesn't mean we, we just podcast churches and different pastors around the country. No, no, no. We do it in community with other followers of Jesus. Those things are great tools for an outreach, or to get caught up when you have to miss for some reason. But to be committed to Christian community means you've got to make a commitment to be there, to be involved, to be in community with other followers of Jesus. And that often means as you get committed like to a larger group like this, the next step from there is once you kind of have done that and, and you're committed and devoted to kind of large groups like this, it means you've got to get into a small group where you begin to read the Bible with other followers of Jesus, where you get into a group where you can pray for one another and love one another, encourage one another, be there for one another, do life together with other followers of Jesus. And so if you're not in the group, I would challenge you, man, go on our website, sign up for a Raider group. Get involved with, some small group, with a small group of other college students who are, who are following Jesus together. It will be the most critical step you could ever take in your walk with Jesus is to get committed to Christian community. Acts 2.42 says that the disciples devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread and the prayer. They didn't devote by themselves. They weren't devoted by themselves. They were devoting themselves together. They were growing spiritually together. Third, the third way that God has given us to remain in him John chapter 15, starting in verse nine, Jesus says this, I have loved you even as the father has loved me. Now remain in my love. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my father's commandments and remain in his love. So Jesus said, you gotta remain in love. Well, how do we do that? That's a great idea, but how do we remain in love with Jesus. Well, Jesus says, here's, here's how you remain in my love, how you remain in love with Jesus. Here, here's how. When you obey his commands, just as he obeyed his father's commands and remained in, in his love. So here's the, here's the third way that we remain in Christ. It's this, it's that we remain in love. Remain in love. And Jesus said, you, you love me by obeying my commands. By following my word, by spending time in my word, remaining in my word, and as the word begins to speak to your life and correct you and teach you and rebuke you and, and train you in how to live righteously, you obey what God's word says. Jesus said to listen to his word and then not do it, he said, is like a man who builds his house, the foundation of his house on sand. You can just listen to it. 
But if you don't do it, you're, you're building your foundation on sand. And when the, the rains come, when the storms come, it will destroy your house. It will ruin your life. Just listening the word doesn't do, doesn't do anything for you. It's obeying, it's listening and following God's word. Jesus says, when you do that, Matthew 7, you're like the man who builds his house on the rock. And when the rains come, when the storms come, when the winds come, your life will stand the test of time. It will stand the test of the storm. James, the brother of Jesus, said in James chapter two, if you just listen to the word and don't do it, you are deceiving yourself into thinking you're growing spiritually. You're not, you're not growing by hearing or by listening. You grow when you follow, when you obey, when you put it into practice, Jesus said. When you do it, when you obey. And that's how we show that we love God. That's how we remain in love. God said this in Romans 5 verse 8, that while we were yet sinners, God demonstrated his love for us. He, in other words, he proved his love for us by sending his son Jesus to die for us on the cross. God didn't just say, hey, I love you. He demonstrated it. He showed it. And the same is true for you and I. We don't just say we love God and we don't just sing words to God that we love him and we worship him. No, no, no. We demonstrate it. We show it. We prove it by obeying, by following you know, I told you that my wife let me go to the final four. Here's why. It wasn't just the money or anything like that. Listen, when, I, when I'm gone, it means that all of our kids' lives is dumped on her. She's getting them up. She's doing her job. She's working. She's getting home. She's getting dinner for them. Then she's taking them to practices and games. And then she's putting them to bed. And then she's doing sometimes her boot camps. She's a trainer. She does them at night for, for moms after kids go to bed. And then she does them at five and six in the morning, several, several days a week. And so when I'm gone, there is a lot that is dumped on her. And so for her to say, yeah, go, go and be with your brother. It's like she's demonstrating, she's showing, she's, yes, I love you and I want you to have a great time. Go and be with your brothers. There's sacrifice there. There's a willingness to, to, to suffer in some ways and to, to take on more so that I could go and have a trip with my brothers. For her birthday this year, um, it was just a week ago, a couple of months ago, I thought, well, what is something that I could do, you know, to really, uh, to speak her language and to show her, I love her. And so I was thinking of all these, all these different things. Now, my wife is not like a real, a real diamond kind of girl. So one time I got her this real expensive diamond necklace this was a long time ago and uh, she never wore it. And so now I know like, I'm not going to spend money on diamonds cause you're just not, you're not going to wear them. And, and, and so, so so I've got, so I, you have to figure out, okay, what are the ways that I can show her that I love her? I can, I could do whatever, but if it doesn't communicate to her that I love her, then she doesn't receive that message. And so I was trying to think, what are the way, how could I show her and the gift and it being thoughtful to show her I'm thinking of what she would like. And, and so because she's a trainer and she trains people and she loves to work out and all this kind of stuff, she has this kind of warehouse gym thing where she does these boot camps. And I thought, what if, what if me and her family and like her, her close friends, what if all of us went in together to get this huge like weight machine squat rack thing with all these weights and all this kind of stuff? I mean, it was not cheap, but we all went in together and we got it for her and she was over Overwhelmed. It wasn't about how much it was. It was that I did something that she realized and felt that I loved her and that I took the time to, to think about it and to show her and to think of a way to demonstrate to her that I loved her. But now what if I told my wife, Darby, hey, I, I love you, um, but I, I'm never, I'm never going to be home. In fact, I'm going to be gone at work all day. And then I'm going to go hang out with my friends. And, and then I'll, you know, I might be home after you go to bed or whatever. And, and so I'm never going to be around and, and I'm going to, I'm going to work all week and then be gone every weekend, you know, hunting or golfing or doing whatever. And, and, and you can do your thing and, and I love you. Uh, but I'm going to also, I'm going to be sleeping with this person and that person and this person. She's going to say, don't say you love me. Don't, don't even say it because you don't mean it. You, 
You don't. That's what she would say. And the relationship wouldn't last, right? She would say, she would, she would say stop saying you love me because you, you don't. You don't mean it and you're not showing me that. In fact, you're showing me the opposite. Jesus said we show our love for Jesus by obeying what he commands. And so when God convicts us of sin through his word, we say, yes, Lord, you're right. I wasn't showing you that I loved you in that way. And so God, would you, by your spirit, help me to change, to repent from that sin and to demonstrate and to show you that I love you. I don't, this isn't to, to be right with you. It's because I've been made right with you. I'm not obeying you to be your kid. I'm obeying you because I am your kid and I want to make you happy. I want to make you smile. And so we remain in love by choosing to obey. Marriage works a lot the same way. You know, a lot of people say that, well, they, they, they fall out of love. That's really a choice. It's really a choice. You can choose to remain in love. And the way you remain in love is by choosing to demonstrate and to show an unconditional love that God has had for you. you because of that love, you, you begin to show it to your spouse and you demonstrate it for your spouse and you serve your spouse. It's a choice. And the same is true in your relationship with Jesus. You can choose to remain in love. And the way you remain in love is by obeying, demonstrating, showing God that you love him by repenting of sin, obeying what he tells you to do when he speaks to you. You know, when we were in ninth grade, Darby and I dated. Some of you guys know we met in seventh grade and um, we became friends, close friends, very quick. And in, in ninth grade, we, we went out, okay? But, but we talked all the time. And then ninth grade, we start going out. And, and now, I, because I was shy and everything, I, we didn't talk, like never. And the only time I didn't talk to her face to face, the only time I would ever talk to her was on the phone. I, I, I could talk to her as long as there was a distance between us. I could talk to her on the phone. But when we were together, I couldn't. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. And then because of that, you could imagine the relationship didn't last very long. And, and so then I get a call one day, I'm mowing my, my, my parents' yard and I get a call one day and uh, my mom walks out with this portable phone. Now I know y'all don't know what that is, uh, but it was a phone that didn't have a cord at that time, okay? Wasn't a cell phone. You couldn't just take it wherever. It had a base and it would have to charge in your house, but, but it was a phone without a cord. And she brought this phone to me and I'm out inside in the front yard and um, I get on the phone and uh, this person says, this is Darby. And I say this person, because instantly I knew it wasn't Darby. It was her friend. I knew her voice. And uh, so I get on the phone, she says, hey, this is Darby. And I'm like, uh-oh, this thing can go well. And she says, yeah, um, I don't wanna go out anymore. I just wanna be friends. You know, the whole, it's not you, it's me, you know, that kind of thing. No, 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 it was me. Like, you don't have to say that, like it, it was me. And uh, so, she, so she says, hey, I don't wanna go out anymore and I know it's not her. And, and so I hung up, I tried to be cool. Like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, whatever, it doesn't matter. You know, whatever, but I was heartbroken. And our relationship was like that because it was weak, it was immature. I could only talk to her from a distance by phone not face-to-face, -face, not one-on-one. -on -one. And when she would call to break up with me to do the hard thing, she had a friend do it for her. The relationship at that point was weak and immature. It was going through other people. It was going through intermediaries. It was using a, a phone because I couldn't do it face-to-face. -face. I, was, I was weak, I was immature. But now, we started dating, we got engaged, we're, we're married. Now, we are so close, we're best friends. We talk all the time. And not just over the phone, not just through text, but, but when we are together, we, we talk and, and talk and talk. We love 
when our kids are going to bed and it's just our time and we can hang out and it's face to face and and we get to, to talk. We like going on date nights almost every week, if not every other week, where we just get to be together and eat dinner together and there's no other distractions. It's just us, no one else. We like going on weekend trips and once a year we usually do a week-long trip where it's just us, no one else, just us. And we're close and we're talking and we're near to one another. Last summer, we went on our 15 year anniversary trip. We've been married for 15 years now. And uh, this summer will be 16. And um, but on that trip, uh, we were there and there's a lot of people from, from Europe there. And it was kind of strange, but, um, but we were told there's like 90% of the people that go to this resort are from, are from Europe. And so, uh, but one night we were getting ready to go to dinner and we were hanging out outside on our, on our porch that kind of overlooked the ocean and we were taking pictures together. And all of a sudden, because there's like this pool that goes along the front and you could kind of walk from almost kind of in front of room to room in the, in the pool that kind of went all the way down this, this resort. And um, we're, we're standing there taking a picture and all of a sudden we kind of see in the camera, there's a couple uh, out in the pool and we turn around and this girl is like plastered up on this glass thing that's at the edge of our room. And here's what she said. She said, I'm, I'm going to try to do this German accent. She said, come with us. And I was, we were like, what? And her and her guy, whatever, whoever it was, they were asking us like to hook up with them. And we were like, you know, when something's really, really awkward, you know, I, I don't know about you, but for me, I'm like, <laughs> you know, it's like an awkward laugh. Like, uh, uh, you know, uh, no, we're going to dinner. You know, can't, sorry, you know, whatever. I mean, it was so, so awkward. But for us, we would never dream of involving someone else because the nature of a godly relationship, a godly marriage is exclusivity. It's one-on-one. That's the nature of a great marriage is that you thrive together one-on-one. That's the way you grow the relationship. And listen, God wants you and him to have a one-on-one relationship. Listen, this is great. You get to hear God's word kind of through me and and from me. But the next step in your spiritual life, this is a great first step, but the next step is that you get one-on-one where it's just you and Jesus because God wants a relationship with you. Not just a religious routine. Sometimes those routines are great, but not just a religious routine where you go through the motions and you hear from him through someone else. No, God wants you to get alone by yourself Jesus said, in your closet, away from everything else and everyone else and spend time with your father in his word. He wants a one-on-one relationship with you where you can grow and be exclusive with him. And then you have the benefit of the body, the spiritual family that you belong to now to help you and to spur you on and encourage you and to, and to be there for you. But Jesus wants a one-on-one relationship with you. Listen, I'm happy you're here to worship and to sing and, and, to, and to listen and all those kinds of those, those things are all great and we all need those things. There's something special that happens when we're with the body of Christ that you can't get alone, that you can't get through a podcast or watching a live stream or whatever. There's something special that happens when you're here and when we're together. There's a strengthening that happens and it's hard to explain sometimes. But you need a one-on-one relationship with Jesus too, where you go away by yourself and you devour God's word and you pray and you worship and you do all the things that we do here, but you do it alone. You do it one-on-one with God. God wants to grow the relationship. And here's the thing I want you to catch tonight is that remaining, remaining, and all the ways that we talked about tonight, in remaining, 
That's where the relationship grows. Remaining grows the relationship. And it's in the remaining, in the places and the people that he's given you to remain with, where he will begin to purge the stuff in your life, the the sin, selfishness, the wrong way of thinking, where he'll begin to cut those things off and he'll begin to grow you. Listen, when you get married, you're declared married. You can't do it for yourself. You have to have someone from the outside pronounce you husband and wife. You can't do that for yourself. And in the same way, you can't save yourself. We say this all the time. Good people don't go to heaven, forgiven people do. You cannot save yourself. You can't be good enough to be right with God. You're declared righteous when you place your faith in Jesus. And the same thing happens in marriage. You're declared married. You're pronounced husband and wife. And like that, you go from being not married and not husband and wife to being married, to being husband and wife. You're declared married in an instant. But marriage, the relationship takes work and sacrifice and effort and commitment. It takes hard work. It takes blood, sweat, and tears. It takes effort. And the same thing is true in our relationship with Jesus. You are declared righteous with God in a second. It's a miracle that God does when you are dead and he raises you to life in Christ. You're declared righteous. But the relationship, this new marriage, takes work and effort. Last week I showed you this tree and it used to be this ugly little shrub. But as we pruned it and cut it, as we spent time with it, as I got down on my hands and knees and chopped off branches and sawed branches and worked with sweat and effort, this tree began to grow into what it really was designed to be. And it began to look the way that it was designed to look. And God wants to do the same thing in your life as you remain in Christ in the ways that he's given us to remain. Would you pray with me? God, I pray that the lives of every person in this room tonight, God, would look like this tree. God, that was a a, a bush. It was a shrub. But over time and with work and effort from the outside, from the gardener, and from remaining close to the gardener, this tree flourished and grew and prospered and became fruitful. And God, I pray that over every person in the room tonight, that they would remain in Christ. They would remain in your word. They would remain in community. They would remain in love and they would grow that relationship, one-on-one relationship with you. God, I pray that over every person in the room tonight, I believe you want an exclusive one-on-one relationship with every person in the room, not just going through religious routines, but growing a relationship. And so God, I pray that through the Holy Spirit's power tonight, you would give us a heart and desire, God, for that kind of commitment, God, for that that work that you wanna do in us. Philippians 1 says you wanna continue the work that you began in us. And so God, would you do this work in us and give us a heart and passion for the work, for the effort, for the sacrifice, for the commitment, because we love you not to be right with you, not to be your kid, but because we've been made right with you, because we're your kids. God, would you increase right now our love for you that we would wanna grow this relationship. It's in your name we pray.